Hello. Hello. Welcome to Creepy Cuties. My name is Rogue. And I'm Kitty. This podcast is for us to explore the story behind the stories, where the spooky and the strange come from. Curiosity may have killed the cat, but satisfaction can bring it back. Today's tale inspired a bunch of movies and other stories, but is actually based on a true crime cold case that was set in 1922 Germany. The urban legend, The Killer in the Attic, which is a tale that is featured in many films, normally someone's living in the house of the family that ends up killing them. Uh, I can't think of any movies off the top of my head that use that, but I know I've also seen other true crime events where that has happened. So, in this tale, the um, Gruber family is found on their farm murdered. In Bavaria, Germany, around March or April, because they can't really pinpoint exactly when the murders happened because no one knew about the murders for a bit. But this was in 1922. The family of five and their maid were found murdered in the home on farmland, which was built in 1863, isolated from the public, uh, which the Gerber family included... The husband, Andre, who was uh, 63, the wife, Cecilia, who was 72, their daughter, Victoria, 35, as well as her children and the two older ones, grandchildren, Cecilia, who was seven, and Josef, who was two. Yes, the mom and daughter had the same name, which I'm going to get confused by at some point, I know. Um, The family's maid... Maria Baumgartner, who was 44, were all found slaughtered in the home, or on the property, I should say, because not all of them were actually in the house. Uh, They were displayed in gruesome ways, many under mysterious circumstances. I'll put a trigger warning when I get to that part. Perfect. Uh, But the case was never solved. They never found who killed the family. Uh, Through unknown sources, it is said that Andre actually started mentioning to neighbors and friends that he noticed a few days prior to the murder that there were strange things happening around the farm. Anything from footsteps in the snow that didn't seem to belong to anyone who actually lived in the house that led into the woods from the back door that had a broken lock. Broken lock within the farm's machine room. They also found a newspaper in the home that belonged to no one, that like no one read the newspaper that they found, so they didn't know where it came from. Uh, He didn't remember buying it. They also noticed that a set of the family's house keys were disappearing. Uh, Andre was said to have remarked that the strange occurrences were said to his friends and neighbors, but they never mentioned anything to law enforcement. They never really brought it up to anyone who probably could have looked into this. Yeah, it was probably back in the time where, like, you take care of your own shit. You don't really expose when you're having problems yep and this is all going to be hearsay for anything because it's someone saying oh well he told me this they told me that type thing right so as the story goes uh, many of the signs were there that someone was secretly living in the house without the family knowing even though they did see the signs they didn't actually know who was there one of the reports said that the family's prior maid had actually quit randomly See, good thing I redid this. Yes, I redid this, people. But I redid this, and I forgot a whole section. Uh-oh. Jeez. Giggles right, can do so that anyway, too. the family's maid, prior maid, actually, not her current maid, their prior maid, had quit randomly about six months prior to the murder. She claimed that the house was haunted because she was hearing strange sounds like footsteps in the attic. Uh, she had her fears dismissed by the, um, the owner, Andre saying that she was just being superstitious. Despite it all, he he said he also was hearing footsteps, but he just checked it out and never saw anything, so he just brushed it off as the house settling. But she ended up quitting, because obviously why? She was a living maid, and she feared for her life, so she quit. Uh, Later, we did find out, though, her fears were valid. Your fears are always valid. Please go with your guts. 
If you think something's wrong, investigate or find someone professional to investigate for you if you do not feel safe doing so. I almost wonder if um, she had a run-in with him or, like, she saw him and tried to say something and with nobody believing her, she was just like, well, I'm just out. No, thanks. Okay, bye. No, I... I Legit may think this was just, she thought someone was in the house and her fears were being brushed off. So she was like, you know what? I don't trust this house That's and fair. I'm leaving. Because she thought the house was haunted. So she probably thought these were ghosts. She didn't think that this was a person. Also true. So the family was reported, though, to have been very private. They kept to themselves most of the time. So the murder actually went unnoticed until people started noticing that the granddaughter, the younger Cecilia, did not appear at school on April 1st. So I think, I assume they were out for some kind of break, because why did you just notice on April 1st and not March whatever, whatever other days? Right. So I don't know if maybe they had a winter break or something? I don't know. But uh, they noticed she wasn't going to school, but they also noticed the family had not shown up to church, which is probably a time when, even to to this day, if you're a common churchgoer, people notice when you're missing. Right. Uh, They also noticed that the post office was accumulating their mail, so they obviously had to go pick their mail up. Two coffee sellers who went by the house to try and make a sale noticed that no one was in the house, but they said they noticed that the machine house door was open. So do remember that the owner of the house did notice uh, the machine door. There was footsteps leading away from it. Right, but none to it. I'm thinking... Potentially, yeah. Potentially, that could have been where the guy was hiding out. That or in the actual attic of the house. I'm not sure which. Probably both. But uh, they said that they noticed that. They knocked on the door. No one answered. So they, they ended up leaving. On April 4th of 1922, an assembler, Adam Hoffner, went to the farm to repair one of the engines of a food chopper. He stated he did not see the family. But he did hear all the animals and dogs while he was there, meaning the animals were perfectly fine. He obviously didn't notice any kind of distress from them. Uh, but he was on that property for four hours to complete the repair, never once seeing the family and never once like bringing it up. Like, hey, I didn't see anyone, but I know these people haven't been seen in a while. But they're clearly not home. Right. So later that day, Lorenz Schultenbar report a who was reported to possibly be a lover of victoria but hearsay blah 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 all that stuff with his sons johan who was 16 and his other his other son who was actually a stepson Josef, who was nine uh they went to the house they could not find the family that did not appear that they were there so he ended up leaving and coming back the same day with another set of people michael pole and jacob sigel to search the property more thoroughly, where they ended up actually finding the bodies of the family. So here's the trigger warning. There is uh, some details to their mutilated bodies. So if you do not like that, please skip ahead a couple minutes. Uh, the mother of the family, Cecilia, so the older Cecilia, was found with multiple injuries to the head, leading to a cracked skull as well as signs of strangulation. The father, Andre was said to have been covered in blood as his face was so cut up that it was actually described as shredded. His cheekbones were sticking out and it was all beyond repair with all the destroyed flesh. Mulched. Victoria. What? Mulched. Mulched? Yeah, his face got mulched. His face was mulched? Yeah. Yuck. (laughs) Victoria, the daughter. Sorry, the daughter of the comic relief in there. (laughs) But I'm not done with the gruesome. No, I know. It's just a little palate cleanser. A little break. Okay. Victoria, the daughter of the owners and the mother of the two small children, was said to have been attacked in the head. She also suffered from a cracked skull, which was a result of bunt force trauma, mainly to her face, but to her whole head. The younger daughter, Victoria, the smaller Cecilia, suffered from a slash wound to her neck as well as a shattered jaw. The four bodies were all found in the barn, believed to have been lured there under... They were found under a layer of hay. Uh, This led the group to search the land more thoroughly and in depth, and they actually found themselves in the house where they found the boy in his bassinet and the maid in her bed, both dead as well. They were both covered in sheets and a dress. 
So the two suffered from blows to the head and face. It appeared that Maria and Yosef were killed with a pickaxe or a pickaxe-like tool. So basically what they got from that was the maid was covered in her dress and a sheet and the baby was covered in a sheet in his bassinet. I think so usually... they were most likely killed in their sleep. Yeah. Meaning this was probably done at night. Usually when they're covered, there's a bit of regret or, like, distancing from the killer. Meaning they didn't necessarily want to. Or they did and then they wanted to hide it. Most likely the hiding thing, because I'll I'll get into Mm -hmm. why it's probably just hiding. But, um, all of them were found covered in something. The family was covered in hay, which... If they were in the barn and that one guy was there repairing something, you think he would have passed by the barn and noticed dead bodies how maybe smelt something what was the weather like because if it was still cold true there is possibly there was still snow on the ground so yeah there's highly the decay may not have been as bad yeah they probably didn't even start to rot yet some of the strange things about the story was while the whole family was found to have been murdered along with the maid not a single farm animal or even their pet dog appeared to have been harmed they also appeared to have been healthy and well fed the house's supply of bread was gone, and it, there was recently cut meat. I'm really not sure how you can tell if it's recently cut, but there was recently cut meat found. It's still red, if it hasn't gone gray. True. Neighbors saw signs of someone living in the house, from the smoke that was coming from the chimney to the uh, from the night of the murder. Uh, an artisan who was actually passing by said he observed that observed the oven was heated by someone and said that he could see someone when he approached with a lantern but the light uh, had blinded him and he could not see who it was that with the care of the animals led people to believe that whoever murdered the family actually stayed and lived on the property for an estimated three days after the murder if you pair this with what their old maid said before she quit uh, that could mean that the family has been living with this murderer under their roof for several months before they, so, for some reason, decided to just kill them out of, like, nowhere. I wonder if he was going to get caught. Or if he did Maybe. get caught. Maybe. Uh, the morning of April 1st, early morning, around 3 a.m., a farmer slash butcher, like, uh, however you want to describe him, Simon Relblander said he saw two unknown people near the edge of the forest by the home. Uh, But when he saw them, they had their faces turned away from him so he could not see who they were. When he later heard of the murders, he thought maybe those two men were connected. Uh, The police were unable to find the killer, ruling out uh, vagrants as nothing was stolen, so they don't think it was a robbery. And there were large sums of money found around the house. Lorenz, the man who had searched the part uh, the house earlier, the one who's maybe Victoria's lover, was ruled out because they could not place him at the scene of the crime, even though it was known by many people in the town that him and Victoria had a relationship. But it was only rumored. Uh, but he also may have been the son of her, uh, may have been the father of her son, not the other way around. Ooh. That makes no sense. <laughs> but yeah, so Lorenz may have been the father of the young, the young Yosef, which I find odd because he also had a stepson named Yosef. He must have really liked that name, unless Victoria named him that as like a little pokey poke, like, hey, hey, this is your kid. <laughs> but anyway, some suspected that maybe the father had killed the family before killing himself, but none of the family's wounds seemed to be self-inflicted. So I don't know who came up with that theory, but you don't typically just shred your own face and have fun with that. Uh, Whoever did kill the family, though, was believed to have known his way around the farm, perhaps was a farmhand at some time, or he at least knew how to use a farm tool. It is said that he knew also how to care for a farm because he was there at least a few days taking care of animals. He was not someone who lived on the farm knowingly, so most likely was not an employee of the family because no one would have, no one recognized him, no one knew any other people who to live on the farm. Uh, so no one was able to report the family having any enemies. No one held a grudge. They really weren't. No one had an idea of who it was. There were suspects, which I'm going to go over in a bit. The police, though, called in help from a metaphysicist. Uh, The head and skulls were sent to a psychic 
to see if they could help find anything. As of May 1927, the stranger said that uh, the stranger who stopped in Waldhofner went to a resident around midnight asking about the murders and then shouted that he murdered be- murdered them before he ran away into the woods and was never found. So, I don't know who uh, what that was about, but apparently someone years later was like, yeah, I did it, and then ran away. Just sprinted off but into the forest. No idea who that person was. The family was laid to rest, minus their heads, um, near a cemetery. Near a cemetery that was near their home that would end up being torn down a year later. A monument sits near the property for the family. In 2007, in a police academy in First... I'm not even going to pronounce that one. I'm not going to attempt that. In a town of some crazy German town that I cannot pronounce, saved my life, and I'm not going to butcher that. Tried to take on the case and solve it, but due to the death of the suspects and all the evidence from the victims, it really was not, there was nothing they could do. So the case is most likely going to remain unsolved for the rest of time. So they have suspects. One which was Carl Gabriel, the husband of Victoria, who was reportedly killed in Arras, France, during World War One, But because his body was never recovered around the time they thought he was killed, which was December of 1914, people suspect that he was never really dead and that he actually committed the murder. During World War Two. there were captives uh, held in the Schurbenhaus region, who claimed that a German-speaking Soviet who was released, released to them, claimed to have been the murderer. And later that day, they revised their statement, but it was dismissed of credibility because some thought that maybe it was Carl who was the undercover, or the now Soviet. Oh, no wonder I can pronounce that word. I'm pretty sure that wasn't even a German word. Um, Some men... After his reported death, said that uh, he wants to stay in Russia. So there's no solid proof of that theory that he, like, faked his own death to go run off to Russia or that he was even killed. They have no proof of it. But if you go off the timeline, uh, I made a note that says, This means that Victoria gave birth to Yosef two years prior to the murders, uh, meaning she was already a widow. Yosef is not her uh, husband's baby. Um, there were rumors that she was raped by her father, which resulted in a pregnancy. I don't know where that rumor came from, but there's also then the rumor of her having the affair with Lorenz. Mm. Uh, Lorenz, who was a widower to his first wife in 1918, was said to have been the lover of Victoria and was the f- apparently, allegedly, the father of the young Yosef the two-year-old. He apparently displayed suspicious behavior after finding the bodies of the family in the barn. The group, when he went to investigate, um, had broken open the lock to the gate, but once the bodies were found, Lorenz was able to open the house door with a key, a key which the family had sent got, went missing, but some think that it is possible that because him and Victoria were lovers, she may have given him a key. So, maybe theory, possible, who knows. Uh, when he was asked about why he ha- went into the house alone when they didn't know if the murder was still there, he said he needed to check on the son, Yosef. But uh, the other rumor was he also also said that he disturbed the bodies, which were found to be compromised during the investigation, even after he was cleared. Some think that some of his suspicious behavior left him as like a suspect in their mind. It was said that he visited the property even after it was destroyed. He apparently said that the killer had hid the bodies in the barn after trying to bury them, but could not due to the cold ground. Uh, The killer was unable to dig. People thought that this detail was a little suspicious because how would he know uh, what the killer did? Like, why would he know that the killer wasn't able to dig up a hole to bury the bodies? So some people suspect that he... um, killed the family because Victoria was demanding money for him and their son, Yosef. Obviously, like, if they had an affair and resulted in a baby, Mm. maybe he was trying to cover his own tail. But, I mean, if it's a common rumor around town that that's your son and that you had an affair with her, I really don't think you're going to save yourself from that. 
Uh, before his death in 1941, he won like, multiple cases of slander, which was against his person who, for people who claimed to have, that he was the murderer. The next bunch was Brother Adolf and Anton Gump, who were accused of committing the murder due to their sister claiming it on their deathbed. So, on her deathbed, not the not the two guys. Uh, apparently, Adolf was a, was a suspect who was ruled out, but in 1951, at the time of her death, Adolf had already been dead, and they held Anton until he was dismissed later in 1954. The case was discontinued because... Because they could not link him to the crime. And the next one's Carl and Andres S. Uh, I couldn't find a last name for them, so it was just referred to as S. Uh, it was said that a woman in 1971 wrote a letter claiming that she was, when she was 12, she witnessed her mother receive a visit from the two brothers, Carl and Andres. Uh, they claimed her, uh, who claimed her sons had committed the murders. The mother claimed that her sons, Andres, stole a pen knife slash pocket knife, depending on how you want to refer to it, which was found at the farm after it was dis- demolished. Uh, there's no way of linking the knife to anyone, and the former man claimed that the knife uh, was already there prior to the murders because uh, she worked there. So they got that suspicion kind of got thrown away. I don't know why they were suspected. Oh, no, you lost the pocket knife. You must have murdered these people. Obviously. Now we have uh, Peter Weber. Josef Benz, named Peter, was suspected. Josef Betz named Peter as a suspect. While he was sharing a chamber with him in the winter uh, while they worked together, in the winter of 1919 and 1920, Betz claimed that Webb spoke of a remote farm in the area that Webb uh, knew of an old couple and the daughter and two kids. Uh, they get a little confused with this one because Beth says that they think that the, he killed the family for money. And because of the rumor of the incest, I don't know how the incest comes into play there. But um, going off of that theory, it was already ruled out because there was no signs of any robbery or missing money. There were piles of money found on the farm. So they don't think that it may have been him. So once Weber stopped talking about the things, the suspicion died out. You have the Bitchel... Bitchelbun? Bitchler? Who's a bitch? You have the bitch... (laughs) (laughs) You have the Bitchler brothers and George Sigal, the former maid who worked on the farm from November 1920 to September 1921, claims that she suspected the men of the murders. Anton Bichler was said to have helped with the harvest and knew the land. She said he talked to her about the Grubers and uh, the Gabriel family and that he thought that they should be dead. She emphasized how the family dog who barked at everyone never barked at Anton. Uh, She also made claims that talking to the brother Carl through her window at night that they committed the murders with George, who was known, uh, knew about the family fortune. Claims of that Sigal came in, broke into the home in 1920, stole multiple items, but um, they then she did then denied that that happened. He stated that through out this uh, through his time being there, actually, that uh, he carved the handle of a we- uh, the weapon, carved the handle of what would be the weapon, and he knew where it was stored. So that theory kind of comes off a little eh. Yes, it is possible maybe the one could have done it because he knew the land, he knew how to use farm equipment, and the dog liked him. Right. So he wouldn't raise the alarm moving around. Yeah. But then again, they bring up that things were stolen and money was a, a matter, and it's already said that there were nothing stolen from the house and there was money around the house not touched. So they don't think it was anything to do with uh, robbery. So I don't think that theory really panned out very well. The Thaler brothers uh, were a set of brothers that were also brought up by a former maid. Uh, These brothers were known to have committed crimes uh, such as minor burglary. Uh, They also claimed that Joseph Thaler would stand at her window. Wait, this sounds like the last people. 
I think this theory is the same people, and they fucked up the names. <laughs> We're going to disagree with that one. Never mind, that's another false one. Also, they never found the killer, so all these are just theories and suspects. Uh, the last one was actually Paul Mahler, which was brought up by an author, Bill James, in his book, The Man from the Train. Alleged that the man known as Paul Mahler was responsible for the murders. He was a suspect from 1897 of the murder uh, of a murder in Massachusetts and claimed that he, uh, the guy had killed other families. Or I guess he told him that he killed other families based on news articles. The Hindercroft murders resembled the murders of the family in the U.S., which included a family who was killed in a remote area with farm tools as the weapon with a lack of robbery being the common feature. James thinks that Muller may have immigrated over there from his homeland to have commit the murders when people started to see the similarities of the murders in the from the 1912 of the two families and the one in Colorado and another one in Kansas. So this is just a guy that uh, I guess he must have come from Germany and killed what looks like three other families in various states. Uh, but in similar ways that the family had died. So, those are the suspects. That is my tale. Those are the murders. And we know of many tales where similar things happen. Where people living in the wall or living in the attic and doing weird things. I remember I not heard of uh, my murders, favorite murder but... talked about um, one where I think it was an older guy. A friend came around and was like, hey, I need somewhere to stay. And he might have lived there for like a week or two, but then he disappeared. And then he ended up, I'm butchering the story, but I, he ended up being in the house. And I don't remember if he killed the guy or not. I also just whacked my microphone. And then there's also the lady. Yeah, you did. I'm pretty sure it's in like New York or something. The lady that was living in the crawl space above the kitchen where the two roommates were arguing about who was stealing food so the one roommate set up a camera and watching the footage watches this scraggly ass woman crawl out of the crawl space in his kitchen mm -hmm. uh helps herself to the fridge opens a bottle of wine turns on the tv pisses in his sink <laughs> and then when he comes at that point why don't you just go pee and like tricking uh the tub or the uh, to the toilet. I don't think she went into the apartment further than the kitchen, because uh. the the TV was just off the kitchen. Oh, uh, okay. Kind of like my setup, kind of similar. True. The creepiest part is when he comes out to get something out of the fridge, and she just ducks off into the living room. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back to bed, and it's just like. I get the heebie-jeebies anytime I know the door's been unlocked and unattended. Yeah. I can't. I don't know. I remember seeing, like, a clip of, I'm pretty sure it was, like, a Japanese home where the same thing happened, but it was a woman literally, like, in the roof. Right. Like, she would come down it every night, and they had recordings of her doing it, and I think they didn't catch her until, like, months later. Yeah, no, any idea of somebody being, like... In the walls. In my house? Yeah. You know, the idea of anyone being in my house who's not welcome in my house is like, nope, we're done. No, thank you. Get out of here. I'll have to see if I can find the video and send it to you later, see if it's the same one. I'm pretty sure I've seen that video. Although we do know Google listens, so I'm guaranteed one of those videos is probably going to pop up on our TikTok later. Potentially. <laughs> well, I had Mad Hatter things popping up after the last episode. Did you really? I did. I wonder if it was because of the image search. Maybe. It could have been. So I don't think I, I got anything about it. Bloody Mary. Either that or I already have a fucked up search engine or search history. True. So it's just like, yeah, that's normal. <laughs> I started getting weird things. This is Halloween-based things, too, because it was actually around Halloween, so. True. But yeah, no. Your turn. <laughs> what you got for me? I have... Oh yes, that's right. I can close these notes and stop being blinded by the light. So, I wanted to talk about Davy Jones. Unfortunately, there is not a lot of 
well, in my menial Google searches between taking care of a sick child and running around my apartment, um, my Google searches did not yield much fruit outside of the movies, and it was hard to tell what was actual, like, history lore and what was, like, lore fan fictions from the movies. True. So all I kept getting was um, different searches of Pirates of the Caribbean. So instead, I leaned into... I did a little bit on Davy Jones, and then I leaned into Mm -hmm. superstitions and general, like, traditions and stuff for sailors. Sailors or pirates? Both. They kind of... Sailors in general. Pirates and sailors kind of adopted a lot of the same superstitions. Okay. Don't you start. You stay asleep. I forgot she was there. I I forgot my camera's tipped up. Hello. I see a hand. Or is that a foot? No, that's her hand. Okay. Yeah, she's out. So, first and foremost, first, first, we have Davy Jones and Calypso. Davy Jones was thought to have been a Scottish sailor. There's going to be, I'm going to mess up my asses so many times. There's a lot of, like... (laughs) Can't be worse than what I was doing with the German word. (laughs) There's a lot of, like, Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Oh, gee. (laughs) Uh, so this is actually the Pirates of the Caribbean, Davy Jones. Um, Scottish sailor that was in love with the sea, he fell in love with the goddess of the sea known as Calypso. She tasked him with ferrying the souls lost at sea to the other side. Every ten years, he could spend one day on land, and she promised to be waiting for him. Calypso also gave him the Flying Dutchman to complete his new duties. Unfortunately, after ten years of service, Calypso was not waiting for him. Her explanation, I am who I am. Heartbroken and out for revenge, Jones went to the Brethren Court to bind Calypso into human form so that men could rule the seas. After Calypso was bound into human form, Davy Jones felt so much guilt and heartbreak over what he had done that he actually cut out his own heart and locked it away in a chest known as Dead Man's Chest. He also put in all of the notes and trinkets and all the little things that reminded him of her, except for a twin heart-shaped music box that he kept next to his organs organ, like playing organ, not like meat organ. <laughs> um, I had a very weird mental image. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't like next to his ribs. Uh, uh, your ribs aren't organs. It's what's behind the ribs that are. No, I know. But your ribs are technically next to your organs. True. Okay, true. I get what you mean. <laughs> I, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, I my brain makes weird mental images. Anywho. So after he cut out his own heart and locked away all of the, the letters and everything that belonged to her, he became ruthless and brutal of the sea. Men feared him and his ship and his... Uh, feared him and his ship and the kraken that he commanded... Over the centuries of this cruel Dutchman, he became more of a monstrous figure, and that's when he started taking on the barnacles and the different fish-like qualities. Icky. Same with the men on his ship. So instead of ferrying the men, he would then go to men that were dying at sea, and he would make them a deal. Uh, He would help them skirt death for a hundred years of service on the Dutchman. The problem with this is that it then corrupted his soul even further, and failed to help the souls 
to move on in the afterlife. And it wasn't just the men that took his deals. This was, like, the women and children and everybody that wanted to move on and just couldn't. Hmm. That, that is, like, a general synopsis of the movie. I'm not gonna go into, like, every single one of the movies, but that's, like, the main story behind Davy Jones. You don't want to talk about Jack Sparrow? I would love to, but I want to actually do, like, a proper research episode on all of the pirates. Oh, okay. So, Sparrow, Blackbeard, um... Alright, two can be continued. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to save them for later, because I also wanted to go into, like, the ships and where they came from, and... But I think I need to actually, like, grab proper, like, books... Because the internet's just filled with the movies, and it's so difficult to do, like, a deeper dive. Do we have to actually go to the library? I might have to, but I also want to get a a library card, or at least refresh my library card. I was going to say, you should have one. We used to go there all the time. (laughs) I definitely have one. I couldn't tell you where it is. but I don't know if mine's still valid. I tried to use Hoopla one day, and it was just like, no! And I was like, but... But I have a library card. You might need to update it, because I know a friend of mine uh, put me onto the app called Libby, where you can rent library books as long as you have a library card. Yeah. That's what Hoopla is. Yeah. And it has, like, audiobooks and stuff, too. I gotta go library. Yeah. We'll make a day of it. (laughs) Go get a bunch of shit done. Alright. So, moving on from... Davy Jones. There's so much more I could go into, but I again, I just I want to go deeper into it cuz it's it's been difficult to try to sort through what's movie lore and what's like actual history. True. So, instead, here are uh different pirate terms, sailor terms and sailor traditions. So you have Davy Jones' locker, which is just very simple. It's just the ocean floor. It's the what sailors would refer to. Sailors would refer to the watery grave as Davy Jones' locker. Hmm. And then amongst actual men, not the movie verse, Davy Jones was known as a nautical slang for the spirit of the sea, usually in the form of a sea devil. His locker was known as the final resting place of sunken ships, articles lost or overthrown or thrown overboard, and of men buried at sea. This expression is to be, is believed to be from the story that Davy Jones was the owner of a 16th century London pub where unwary sailors were drugged and put in lockers and then awoke aboard ship to find they had been recruited into the Navy. So that's one instance of an actual Davy Jones. That sucks. I also saw in one of the articles that pub owners used to be known as publicans, and it made me think of politicians. And I wonder if there's any correlation from the words. I always love to know, like, the history behind words. Good luck, superstitions, and traditions. The reason for the naked figureheads on the front of a ship. A figurehead in the form of a naked woman, perched on the bow, calms the seas, and her open eyes will guide it to safety. A naked woman naked? on the bows of ships, usually. I normally see mermaids. Well, that's from, like, movies and stuff. No, I've seen them on other things. They normally have clothes on. Now. Mm. I think I ruined the fun. (laughs) Free the boobies. (laughs) Uh, A naked woman on board was thought to be good luck. Guess they were hoping to get lucky. Which is funny. Okay, lucky. Too, because I... The, like, piles of lists that I all shoved together... Some had mm-hmm. naked women as good luck, and some had naked women as bad luck. Because as much as they brought luck to the ship, they also distracted the men heavily. 
which I think was a whole big fight in the first movie for Pirates of the Caribbean about uh, Elizabeth Swan being on the ship. They're like, she's bad luck, get off the ship. It's because none of them have how to control themselves around a woman. It's been a while. That too. That and something about witches. Don't blame the witches. <laughs> we know what we are. Speaking of, I have something about witches and eggshells later. Uh, swallows seen at sea are a good sign as are dolphins swimming with the ship tattoos and piercings are said to ward off evil spirits for sailors to wear gold hoop earrings was also good luck and that kind of shapes the idea of what pirates would look like Hmm. there's another one more of the reason to get tattoos good luck also deters uh, cannibals that too um here it is so part of the bad luck um one superstition was not to cut their nails or hair at sea cutting of nail and hair were offerings to prosperin the roman goddess of the infernal regions and it would make neptune angry to have offerings to somebody else made in his domain doing so would bring bad luck so gross. Pirates weren't necessarily unkept because they wanted to be. It was more of a, I don't want to bring no bad luck on the ship. So I'm not, gross. <laughs> I'm, I'm not cutting my hair. I'm not cutting my nails. I don't mind the not cutting the hair. It's the other things. Yeah, because that means they also didn't shave. Oh, coins thrown into the sea. As a boat leaves port, is a small toll to Neptune, the sea, the sea god, for a safe voyage. Horseshoes, also known as Poseidon. Yeah. Horseshoes on a ship's mast will turn away a storm. Cats brought luck. If a ship's cat came to a sailor, it meant good luck. If the ship's cat approached a sailor and then went away, it was bad luck. Which, I feel like <laughs> it's a lot to put on a cat, because most cats just don't give a shit, and they're like, oh, cuddles, say, cuddles, most, wait, most no, I Most cats just, like, wander away. Those be, like, walking up to someone and be like, yeah, sure, I'll take a pet, bye. Right? Could you imagine being thrown off a ship because the ship's cat was like, mm, not feeling you today. No, nah, I'm just going to go rub on you and to scratch my side, and then I'm going to walk away. Oh, you're getting thrown off the ship? Okay, I'm going to scratch on that guy next. Cats also reign supreme because they hunt rats. Rats invaded trading ships of old, attracted to the food cargo, and they often carried disease plus gnawed on the ropes. So a ship cat was good to have around. Makes sense. I believe that. A child to be born on a ship was good luck. Probably not for the child. But this is where the term... I thought women were bad luck. Why is this woman on the ship giving birth? Well, it depends on which one you're reading, because naked women are good luck. Damn, she had to be pregnant and naked? (laughs) That sucks. This is where the term son of a gun comes from. Son of a gun was, uh, was when you were born abroad a warship derived from the days when women were allowed to live in naval ships the son of a gun was one born on a warship often in the greater space near the midship gun behind a canvas screen if paternity was uncertain the child was entered in a ship's log as a son of a gun uh interesting this expression comes from the term For children conceived on the gun... This expression also comes from the term for children conceived on the gun decks of a ship. When in port, women were often brought on board since the sailors had no private quarters. They would sling hammocks between the guns or cannons for their liaisons. So they were a son of a gun because they were born near guns or on a warship. Or they were a son of a gun because they were made by guns. Hmm. Either way, it sucks to be born on a ship. Sounds like they should have went to an inn. Or behind a tree while on land. Depending on how long they were staying in port. 
And if they were just going on land to get some nookie, I think they could have uh, managed it. Maybe. Or they were just bringing them for the next, you know, if they're stopping in a couple of ports. It's like, ah, come on, come to the next one. Hey, you just want to travel? You want to get away for a little bit? We're not bringing you back, but we'll take you away. I'll take you to this place. <laughs> so this next one's kind of strange. It's, um... Okay. Having the call of a newborn child on board a ship was meant to prevent anyone from drowning. This meant that calls were often purchased by sailors before a voyage. And a call is the harmless membrane that covers the face of a and head of a newborn baby. So, like, when a baby's born with, like, a mask on their face, they bring that on the ships. And it's Mm-mm. just like, why? Mm-mm. That's gross. Also, no, no. for that to start, did somebody have one in their pocket and they never drowned? No. And then some other guy that, was course. like, Gross. it's gotta be the call? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> Full cringe. Gross. Pregnancy crap is gross to me anyway. I don't want to think about people keeping that crap. That's true. Like people will keep in bill cords. That's weird. It's gross. You can make your placenta into pills now and take Blech. them like vitamins. Blech. Knock that nonsense off. <laughs> okay, so the next one is St. Elmo's fire is the discharge of static electricity from points on the ship, such as the mast and spars. According to some superstition, superstitious sea stories... If one flame appears, it means bad weather is coming. If two flames appear, it means the weather will be clear. Hmm. So that's an interesting way to explain static electricity. <laughs> and also, a lot of these just feel like the the sailors got bored and they're like, this is totally why this happens. It's gotta be. Probably. Because there's also the saying of, um, for the weather, the red sky at uh, dawn. Uh, yes, I Red Skies at Dawn, Sailor Be Warned, or something. No. Where is it? Hang on. Red Sky at Night, Sailor's Delight. Red Sky in Morning, Sailor's Take Warning. There you go. Uh, the variation on this saying come down to meteorological predictions dating back to biblical times. When the sky is red at sunset, high pressure and stable air are approaching from the west. By contrast, at dawn, red indicates approaching rain and possible stormy seas. And then the last on the good luck list is pouring wine on the deck will bring good luck on a long voyage, which may have come from the practice of shedding blood before a voyage, whether by fight or by accident. It's also why people pour beer on a new car sometimes. Yeah, you're blessing your your vessel. Gross. I don't want my stuff to smell like beer. Well, you shouldn't pour beer on a car at all. People do it. You gotta wash it off immediately. That's gonna peel your paint. I hope so. So, on the bad luck list, women on board a ship distract the crew and place it in peril. Women folk were considered too tempting to ancient mariners. Women also were believed to make the seas angry, resulting in dangerous voyages. Never mind the fact that boats were named after women and that female figureheads adorned the bow of many vessels. Really, Vector? I know, I just heard him go off, too, so I was like, we may, uh, not say anything. <laughs> nah, I think he's okay to have in the background. Yeah, no, he's fine. I can't hear what he's saying most of the time, but he's he's chilling. He was just doing boop-boop-doop-doop-doop, but in robot talk. Yeah. But there was something about not naming your ship after a betrothed woman, like an engaged woman, because it might make the sea jealous. Hmm. I know I heard, um guys like with their cars i know cars and boats not that much different blah 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 but they say uh if you name your car after a woman you shouldn't have sex in it because you will then get in a car accident yeah it's the same premise of making your vessel or vehicle jealous yeah it's like oh name it naming it gives you good luck but once you do things in it then it's like nope luck is all gone So one of my favorite uh, superstitions that is actually, like, you can't even wear banana boat sunblock on a boat to go fishing. They will not let you on the boat with the sunblock. How would they know? I think it has a certain smell. Or, like, if they see the bottle, they'll throw out the bottle. 
Like, if the bottle, if you see the bottle, that makes sense. But I'm like, all sunblock smells the same to me. Doesn't matter what brand you're using. It smells like sunblock. Right. But this is, um, bananas are favored hiding grounds for spiders, some of which have nasty and occasionally deadly bites. Centuries ago, ships transported bananas from tropical islands, which these stowaways, unbeknownst to the sailors, until they discovered them halfway. Mm -hmm. The other theory about why... But, you know, the banana thing is definitely accurate. I know when I worked in uh, the food store, we got shipments of bananas, and there were sometimes giant dead spiders in them. Yeah. Luckily, we were in a freezer, so they were dead. Oh, good. Because some of them were, like, big suckers. Oh, yeah, no, banana spiders are no joke. They're, like, long I don't think they were banana spiders. I think they were just general spiders. Oh, okay. Like, they were just giant spiders. Um, I think one of the other reasons I learned about years ago was when ships sunk, certain cargo would float. And bananas, uh-huh. I think, is one of those cargoes that, like, if a ship sunk, you'd find bananas every time. <laughs> because that was one of the fruits that floated up from the wreckage. And so they just associated it with, like, well, if you've got bananas on board, your ship's going to sink. Oh, jeez. Well, good thing people got over that because I like bananas. No, they they still most, like, merchant ships and, like... Someone brings me by bananas, that's all I know. They're not the same bananas they had back then, but they're oh, bananas. Oh, well, yeah. Those probably come <laughs> by plane or big cargo ships. Cargo ships, I think. I don't think they fly produce from other countries over. Either that or they make them in a lab. Who knows? They don't make them in a lab. They're grown. Actually, I think our bananas aren't the same bananas that we had as kids. No, I don't think they are. They've been... Bananas are a dying species. Yeah. Like, I forget what, uh, how long they think until, like, bananas are extinct, but I really hope it's not in my lifetime, because I like bananas. Right? It's one of the few things I can eat safely. Alright, back to our superstitions. Always step onto a boat with your right foot. Your left foot brings bad luck for the journey ahead. This remains popular among plenty of old salts today. Hmm. Don't say goodbye when departing. Ancient mariners believed uttering certain words, including including this, automatically doomed the voyage, keeping the ship from returning to shore. It's still a popular belief among captains and fishermen today, considering it akin to saying break a leg to an actor rather than good luck. Bon voyage. And there's actually quite a few superstitions that theater and sailors have in common, especially because... Back in the day when sailors used to work in theaters because they were very well versed with rigging and ropes and all that other fun stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of their superstitions bled into theater traditions, hmm. such as whistling. Macbeth. The Scottish play that we don't speak of. <laughs> Macbeth. Stop it. <laughs> Whistling. I like that story, actually. It's a fantastic story, but you don't say the name. Only in a theater. I just don't say it at all. I'm not in a theater. Whistling is one widespread and universal superstition. Forbids whistling in the wheelhouse or anywhere on board, for that matter. Whistling on board will raise a gale, hence whistling up a storm. Hmm. Whistling in a theater is also bad luck. It may seem like a silly rule but it actually has its roots in safety. In the early days of large-scale stage productions, backstage crew were compromised of off-duty sailors using their hard-earned rigging skills to manipulate the sets and curtains. Just as they would on a large sea vessel, the crew communicated with each other through a series of coded whistles. This meant that an oblivious actor strolling through the stage and whistling a show tune could inadvertently prompt a stagehand to lower a light or a set piece onto his poor, unassuming head. Foot. Yeah, my nose is itchy. No, I said foot. You brought you brought the foot up when you did that. <laughs> I know. Oh, flexy foot. It's moving. So that's one reason why whistling in a theater is bad luck. Hmm. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Big path. Stop it. <laughs> it is unlucky to start a cruise on a Friday. This is the day Christ was crucified on. Hmm. 
The reluctancy of Siemens to sail on a Friday reached such epic proportions that in the 1800s, the British government decided to take strong measures to prove the fallacy of the superstition. They laid the keel of a new vessel on Friday, selected her crew on a Friday, launched her on a Friday, and named her HMS Friday. (laughs) They then placed her in command of one Captain James Friday and sent her to sea for the first time on a Friday. The scheme worked well and had only one drawback. Neither ship nor crew was ever heard from again. HMS Friday is an urban legend and believed to be false. Which I just thought was freaking hilarious that they were just like, oh yeah, you don't want to sail on a Friday? How about we make a ship on a Friday? And then we get the crew. And we do everything on a Friday. I feel like I know people who've gone on cruises and they specifically leave on a Friday because they want to try and get as many days on the crew as possible. So they take one day off for the Friday so they can sail through the weekend, have the week off, and then get home before the next week. Probably. Well, most people don't know about the older tr- older superstitions. True. Oh, and then the only other um, voyage date to watch out for is never start a voyage on the first Monday in April because that is the day that Cain slew Abel. Huh. Yeah. I thought they were going to say the 13th. Surprisingly, odd numbers were more <coughs> lucky. I believe it. Another superstition is to avoid people with red hair when going to the ship to begin a journey. Like you. <laughs> Technically, right now. Redheads bring bad luck to a ship, which can be averted if you speak to the redhead before they speak to you. So if you see a redhead, you just have to run up and just start talking to them. Gotta get those gingers. <laughs> Several cultures over the centuries believe redheads were unlucky, so this might be why sailors shunned them. Another possibility is that redheads were considered fiery personalities. Not good when they need to follow the captain. Hmm. Makes sense. Why were you denied your sailing position? Ah, oh, because I was born ginger. <laughs> Step. Landing a left boot rather than a fish is considered the ultimate in bad luck. Whenever a left boot showed up in the catch inside of a trawling net, fishermen were instantly fishermen would instantly spit on it before tossing it back into the water. On the other hand, those same Scots considered the right boot to be a sign of good fortune. Coming up with the right boot in the net was looked upon favorably, and the boot would be fastened to the mast in the belief that it would bring good fortune to the fishing expedition. Honestly, finding boots at sea is probably not good luck at all. Either way, because no. that means somebody's boots are in the water. Yeah, probably means they drowned. Probably. Unless we go pull up the body. Or the skeleton. It is... Oh, here's that before. Uh, it's bad luck to name a ship for an engaged woman. This will make the, j- the ship jealous. Mm. Sailors believe that if a cat licked its fur against the grain, it meant a hailstorm was coming. If it sneezed, rain was on the way. And if it was frisky, the wind would soon blow. My cat would destroy a boat. I know. It's, a, again, a lot to put on a cat. I was say, all cats... Lick against the grain, don't they? I think that's how they clean themselves Uh. most of the time. Oh, I'm trying to think of how my cat licks. Eddie, where are you? (laughs) Just go stare (laughs) at him for a bit until he starts cleaning himself. I know, like, they'll lick their fur flat, but I swear I've seen him also do it the other way. Maybe I'm just delusional. No, they definitely go both ways. I can't remember. I think they go up. I haven't watched my cat groom. I feel like they go up against the grain, and then they lick it back down. Probably. Killing a swallow, albatross, gull, or dolphin will bring bad luck. Seabirds are thought to carry the souls of dead sailors. Priests are not lucky to have on a ship. They dress in black and perform funeral services. What's an albatross? Albatross, I think, is a kind of gull. A seagull. I thought that was just a thing in golf. I think it's a pelican. I learned something. I feel all the golf terms are named after birds. Uh, same thing with um, the one prison. Albatross. Alcatraz was named after a pelican. Oh, I didn't know that. Pelican Island. Uh, I just know I was playing golf with friends one day, and one of the things that popped up was albatross, and I was like, oh, it's a fun word. I never looked up what an albatross was, but I know it's like birdie, uh, albatross, eagle. Eagle. I think you're screwed after that. Yeah, I don't know after that. 
Next up, we have name change. It's bad luck to change the name of a boat, but if you have to, write the soon-to-be exercise name on a piece of paper, fold the paper, and place it in a small cupboard or wooden box. Burn the box, scoop up the ashes, and throw them into the sea on an outgoing tide. If you live on a lake, do it at night, and only during a new moon. River dwellers should send the ashes downstream. Sailors believe cats could start storms with the magic stored in their tails, so they always kept them well-fed and con- and contented. It sounds like these cats <laughs> hypnotize sailors to be like, do my bidding. I mean, and cats I'll make can be sure assholes, so... It may just be cats or assholes. And they're like, let's blame the cat. <laughs> Possibly. Or... Sailors really liked cats, so they came up with more reasons to have them on the ships. True. Yeah. Yes, we love to kill cats. Um, A rabbit or salmon found on board the boat was one of the stranger nautical superstitions and would have prevented a fisherman from sailing that day. Atlantic seamen in the West Indies had a bizarre superstition related to swine. Pigs themselves were held, held at great respect because they possessed cloven hooves just like the devil, and the pig was the signature animal for the great earth goddess who controlled the winds. Mm. As a result, these fishermen never spoke the word pig out loud, instead referring to the animal by such safe nicknames as Curly Tail and Turf Rooter. Excuse me? (laughs) Turf Rooter? I don't think I've ever heard that one before. I guess the pigs that sniff out truffles? Maybe. Maybe. It was believed that mentioning the word pig would result in strong winds. Actually, killing a pig on board the ship would result in a full-scale storm. And when tattooing became popular at sea, a rooster and a pig were often tattooed on sailors' feet. It It was believed these animals would prevent the sailors from drowning by showing them the way to shore. Why a rooster? I don't know. That one kind of came out of left field. <laughs> what does a rooster have to do with anything? They're like cats. I guess because they always know where the sun's going to rise. So they always... No, they don't. They're dumb, and they just crow when it gets light out. <laughs> when the clothes of a dead sailor are worn by another sailor during the same voyage, misfortune will befall the entire ship. That's just rude. Don't steal people's clothes. <laughs> wait so, wait <laughs> a little bit before you take the clothes. Definitely. Let their body get cold first. Eggshells had to be broken into tiny pieces once an egg was cracked open. This was meant to stop witches coming to the ship to sail in the pieces of shell. Excuse me? Which I just thought that was ridiculous. That that sounds ridiculous. I can just see you, like, paddling inside of the eggshell. (laughs) I wouldn't use an eggshell. I don't do eggs. No. Really now? No, tell me more. Uh, it was also bad luck to see rats... Oh, it was also bad luck to name a boat with a word ending in A. Anna. I didn't actually think of any boats named with A's. And then I was like, wait, Santa Maria. But that made it, so... Alright, and then the last little bit here. Uh, these were, like, death omens. Mm. It is said that a ship's bell that rings without human aid is an omen of death. A stone thrown from a vessel putting out to sea ensures she will never return. If a cat was thrown overboard, a storm and a very bad and very bad luck and maybe death would follow. Well it deserved. Absolutely. The word drown can never be spoken at sea or it may summon up the actual event. Also the cat thing is probably the guy that the cat walked away from is like, Oh, let me get rid of the cat quick. <laughs> Karma. <laughs> the cat's like, fuck you, as he's going over the side of the ship. <laughs> the word, no, said that one already. A shark following the ship is a sign of inevitable death. Manta rays, also known as devils, devil fish or sea devils, were feared as much as sharks, for sailors believed these sea creatures could attach themselves to the ship's anchor and drag her under drag her under the waves to Davy Jones' locker. Hmm. And then there was this random note. If a woman sees a robin flying overhead on Valentine's Day, it means she will marry a sailor. 
If she sees a sparrow, she will marry a poor man and be very happy. If she sees a goldfinch, she will marry a millionaire. So keep an eye out for them goldfinches. Do we have goldfinches around here? No idea. So that is our sea fairy, seaman, sailor, pirate superstitions. I'm sure that's not all of them. Want to know a fun fact? American goldfinch is the state bird of New Jersey. Hey! So keep an eye out for them goldfinch. I don't actually know what they look like. I've never seen one. I've never seen one of these birds. Uh, They are a year-round resident of New Jersey. But many migrate south from late September or yeah, late September to late November. Our wintering birds are probably not the same birds that are nested here. The birds present in winter have nestings up north. Well, that would make sense. So, like most birds. Yeah. So, they're the ones that we're getting in the winter are probably from, like, freaking Canada or something. Now I'm just going to have to keep watch for a goldfinch. It's like the golden stitch. You might actually have to go outside in uh, wintertime. No, you have to see it on Valentine's Day. Oh, it is winter in Valentine's Day. Yeah. You got to go out in the cold. Look for a goldfinch. I gotta leave my house? Yeah. That's probably why we haven't seen them. We don't go out in the cold. I don't go outside. (laughs) We're not cold. What's outside my one outside? We are not cold people. I don't like nature. It has bugs. I just don't like weather. I enjoy storms, but I don't like extreme hot and extreme cold. It's not fun. Exactly. Don't like it. I hate it. Thank you for listening to our tales. We hope to have satisfied that creepy itch. Follow us on your favorite podcast app and look out for us on socials at CreepyCutiesPod. No spaces. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just look for the voodoos. Farewell. Goodbye.